have got food for you, and my address is in the bulletin, so show up at 12.30. This gives you an opportunity to uh, ask questions. It's hard to ask in a large group setting. You'll get to meet the staff, and some of the elders might show up, and we won't keep you beyond two at the latest, because I want to have the rest of my afternoon, so I kind of kick everybody out. So please come. It, It should be a good time. Global Leadership Summit. This is the last week. In fact, we only have a few more days to get the best possible rate. Uh, The Global Leadership Summit is uh, a must for me. I think I've attended it, this will be eight years in a row, and it is outstanding. And it's not just for Christian leaders, uh, it's for all leaders. So it's a great opportunity to invite your uh, unchurched, unbelieving friends. Uh, They will be glad they came because they're going to hear great leadership teaching from world-class leaders, and the gospel comes through in the most winsome ways. So it's a a tremendous evangelistic opportunity. We, as a partner church, we all get a half off, and so so in the bulletin you'll find the half-off code. You can go out online and register. In the late 1500s, an Italian noble by the name of Roberto de Nobili uh, became a Jesuit missionary to India. And when he got to India, in particular, he he went to the southern part of India, the Tamil Nadu people. Uh, There was already a mission there. The Jesuits had been there for already three generations. But the thing that struck Nobili is the fact that only the the lower caste Indians uh, were coming to Christ. Uh, So Hinduism was the uh, religion of the land, and Hinduism taught to uh, separate people into four major castes. And there were the highest caste, the Brahmins, and then there were the the lowest uh, caste and a couple in between. And only the low caste uh, people were coming to Christ. And this surprised Nobili, uh, and it bothered him. And he wanted to find out, why are, are none of the Brahmins, the high caste, why aren't they coming to Christ? And so a helpful Hindu explained it to him one day and said, look, um, by now, Christianity is so associated with the low caste peoples of society that no high caste member would even consider becoming a Christian. That is a religion of the, of the lower castes. And so to, for a Brahmin to become a Christian would completely uh, lower their status in society. It's not going to happen. There's no chance. And this bothered Nobili, and so he came up with a plan uh, to address this. Well, he moved out of the missionary compound, and he rented a house where the Brahmins lived. And he began to trumpet the fact that he was from a noble Italian family. And he uh, changed his dress. He no longer wore the uh, dress of the other Jesuit priests, but he he took on the dress of a sannyasin, uh, which was a a Hindu ascetic who had given up the pleasures of the world in order to attain kind of spiritual enlightenment. So he dressed like, like a sannyasin. He called himself a sannyasin. He then ate the same foods that they did. They, were, uh, they only ate one meal a day because they were disciplining the d- body, so he did that. And he only ate vegetarian. 
and he shaved his head like a sannyasin and left a little teeny tuft of hair. And, and that was uh, pretty successful. Within a couple of years, he had six Brahmins who had converted to Christianity. Within five years, he had 60. But his tactics were not approved and applauded by his fellow missionaries. In fact, they almost, to a person, uh, his fellow Jesuits thought he had gone too far. And what really bothered them was the fact that he had, uh, um, he was uh, living out the caste system. He would have nothing to do with the lower caste people because he knew if he did, then uh, that would disaffect him in the minds of the other um, Brahmins. And so he treated the lower caste people just like an, uh, a Brahmin would. In fact, he wouldn't let his own uh, fellow missionaries come to his house in the daytime. They, if they wanted to see him, they had to come at nighttime so that uh, people wouldn't, because the priests were also viewed as sort of uh, affiliated with the lower castes. Well, this became uh, a, a big controversy in the church at that time. In fact, the Pope had to weigh in, and in 1623, uh, the Pope made his ruling on Nobili's tactics. And he said, they're okay. But when a Brahmin comes to Christ, you must teach that Brahmin to associate with the lower caste people. Because central to the gospel is the idea that we are all created in the image of God, we are equal, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So they must be taught when they come to Christ uh, that they're no better than anyone else. But other than that, he said all of the other uh, uh, attempts to associate and accommodate the, the culture you're trying to reach, those are, are, are acceptable. I tell you that story because in our uh, text today, the Apostle Paul says, I become all things to all people in order to reach him for Christ. But he also gives some hints here about uh, what might be going too far. So I think Paul does a great job answering this fundamental question of, uh, well, first off, uh, encouraging us to flex in order to accommodate, uh, in order to reach other people, and but not to go too far, to avoid some unhealthy extremes. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We are studying the book of 1 Corinthians, which was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church he had founded in Corinth. He was living in Ephesus when he wrote the letter, but he'd been visited by some folks from the Corinthian church, and they brought him news of the happenings of the church and some theological questions the church wanted him to answer. And so he wrote a couple of letters, 1 Corinthians and uh, then also 2 Corinthians. We are 11 weeks into this series, and if you have missed some of the earlier sermons uh, due to just playing in Alaska, I encourage you to go online, clearwater.church, and catch up. You can download the Clearwater Church app, take the sermons with you on the go. Uh, here are some of the sermons already preached. We looked at the world's wisdom versus God's wisdom, divisions in the church, excommunication, when would you actually ask somebody to leave a church, lawsuits among Christians, sexual immorality, singleness, sex, and marriage, divorce and remarriage, the Holy Spirit's witness to truth, disputable matters, and then last week, laying down our rights to advance the gospel. Due to some technical difficulties, I believe two of those sermons were not captured, but the rest are there. 
So now I will read our text, and then we'll talk about its significance for our lives. But uh, as I read, um, do remember that this is the word of God. It's not just the opinion of man, right? It's the living and active word of God, which we need in order to know how to live a life that pleases the Lord. But it's all sufficient for us. For though I am free from all, writes the Apostle Paul, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. In 1998, uh, there was a two-page article published in the Evangelical Mission Quarterly. And this article uh, talked about six different levels of accommodation Christians uh, might uh, take in order to reach their, uh, the dominant culture for Christ. And so uh, a level one accommodation or C1, Christ community accommodation level one, that's a low accommodation. And uh, C6, Christ community accommodation level six, that's high accommodation. So let's talk briefly about it. So a level one accommodation would be like a Korean church in the United States, and their services are in Korean. When I was in college, I worked in two different Korean churches, and uh, one of them, the service was in Korean, and we ate kimchi for lunch uh, afterwards. Now, that's low accommodation. Now, uh, the level two accommodation, that would be uh, everything is uh, the same except the services in Korean. And so I actually led the English-speaking service in the Korean church for a year. Uh, and then a level three, this is where you're, you, you dress like the culture you're living in, your songs sound like the culture you're living in, you're using the language of the culture. A C4, a level four accommodation, uh, you, you are... You are um, trying very hard to look and sound and feel like the culture in which you live. You want as few barriers to the gospel associated with kind of look and feel and style, right? But everybody in the, in, in the culture around you knows you're Christians. The only difference between a level four accommodation and a level five accommodation is that if you, in the level five accommodation, you are claiming to be a part of the culture. So, for example, if you are in a Muslim-majority culture, you don't say we're Christians, you say we're Messianic Muslims or we're Messianic Jews. And so the culture in which you live, they think you're one of them, but they think you're a little odd, right? Yeah, they're Muslims, but they, they're like really into this, into the Jesus prophet. And then level six accommodation is where you're kind of a closet Christian, you're underground, people in your family and your, and your workplace and your culture don't even know you're a Christian. 
Well, this uh, article has spawned all kinds of uh, debate, uh, and, rough, and, and largely around the question of, is it legitimate to, to, to be a, uh, a level five accommodator? Or is that, have you gone too far and lost and compromised the gospel? And so on this uh, chart here, um, this chart would, it would make the argument, that one that I have here, that level five has gone too far. And there are three things you've got to consider. Uh, on one hand, you consider, uh, ob- you don't want to obscure the gospel. Uh, so, for example, if you are a Korean-speaking service in America, you're going to have a hard time reaching, you know, uh, English-speaking Americans, right? So, you, in a sense, you're obscuring the gospel because you're not willing to uh, contextualize enough. On the other hand, if you go, if you're level five, level six, the danger is you, uh, uh, what is called syncretism. You've become too much like the people you're trying to reach, and you've lost your distinctive, right? You're not, you're not being salt or light. Uh, there's no difference. And then, uh, so what missiologists say is healthy is you want to contextualize. Um, you want to, as much as possible, become like the people you're trying to reach without going too far. So how do we know what is too far? Well, Paul helps us, I think, in this passage. So let's go back to the text. Uh, Paul talks here about uh, three different groups of people that he uh, flexes or accommodates in order to reach them for Christ. He accommodates their culture, and he's willing to accommodate their religious preferences at times, too. So verse 20, first is to the Jews, first group, the Jews. To the Jews I became as a Jew. So Paul was a Jew, that's his, his heritage. But he, you know, it's interesting, he does not think of himself any longer as a Jew. He thinks of himself as a Christian. I'm not a Jew, I'm not a Gentile, I'm like a third group. I'm a Christian. But when he's with Jews and he wants to have influence in the lives of Jewish people, In order to help open Jewish people's eyes to the goodness of the gospel, Paul says, I act like a Jew. Uh, I will eat kosher with the Jews. I will observe the Sabbath. I will attend the temple services with them. uh, And I will will act like they do uh, so that the only barrier to the gospel is the inherent offense of the gospel Namely, that God's in charge, and we're not, and we're sinners, and we need forgiven, and we cannot save ourselves. We're dependent on Jesus Christ. And so here we see that uh, when, you are, when, when you're dealing with cultural issues, uh, you need to have an attitude that says, I'm flexible. I'll become like you. I'll dress like you. I'll eat like you. I'll learn your language, right? I'll learn your music and your poetry, and I'll, I'll laugh, uh, try to laugh at your jokes, Uh, so that, you know, you listen to me when I talk to you about Jesus. Second group, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. So the law here is the Mosaic law. He's talking about people who believed at at this time that the Mosaic law was still in effect. And Paul elsewhere tells us, uh, with the coming of Christ, the, the Mosaic law has been fulfilled in Christ. Uh, in some senses, it's been abrogated. And so Paul did not believe that much of the Mosaic law uh, still needed to be um, abided by. 
but there were a lot of people in his day who, who did. And so he says, look, when I'm with those people, I don't fight them on that. In fact, I act like I'm under the law. I'll eat kosher with them. I'll keep the Sabbath. Uh, and I will, I just don't want to offend their sensibilities. So I'll, I'll obey the rules, right? When you're dealing with people who are more religious than you are, and by religious, I don't mean spiritual. I mean uh, kind of rule followers, religious rule followers. You say, okay, I'll play by the rules, I'll follow the rules, uh, so that I have uh, an opportunity to influence you. When I was in high school, I went to a school in which you couldn't be on a sport team or you couldn't be in student government if you uh, attended movies in the movie theater. And so I wanted to have influence at the school, and so I said, okay, I won't attend movies. For some reason, we were allowed to watch them at home. I found that odd, but... I didn't watch movies uh, in high school, in the movie theater. However, Paul says, you know, that can go too far, and that can become unhealthy. And when it becomes unhealthy is when the rules somehow confuse the gospel, and people start thinking, wait a second, uh, in order to be right with God, you have to obey the rules. Now we're now we got a problem. So, so in the New Testament, you'll read of two situations where um, the first situation is Paul says, Timothy, I want to take you with me to Jerusalem. Timothy was a, uh, a Greek who, uh, and Paul said, I know I'm taking you to, to hang out with Jewish people for whom circumcision is a big deal, so I recommend you get circumcised, which is a pretty big ask, right, when you're a teenager, <laughs> Uh, but, but he's saying, look, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to follow the rules. We're going to accommodate their cultural sensitivity. But then in another situation, you have Titus, a Greek, who uh, some Jewish Christians were, were insisting needed to get circumcised. Titus, yes, you're a Christian, but, but in order to be right with you, God, you have to both believe that Jesus is the Messiah and follow the law of Moses. And so they were insisting that Titus get circumcised, and at that point, Paul put his foot down and said, no, Titus will not get circumcised because now you're confusing the gospel. And so, uh, when you're dealing with more religious people, follow the rules unless the gospel gets confused. One of my professors in seminary, D.A. Carson, he used to say uh, he was from French uh, Canada, and he said, when I'm in the United States, I don't drink alcohol because a lot of American Christians have an issue with alcohol. And so I don't drink alcohol unless somebody says to me, oh, Dr. Carson, I'm so glad you don't drink alcohol because, you know, that's, we have to not drink alcohol in order to be right with God. And he said, at that point, I will say, pass the port. Because <laughs> I refuse to have the gospel uh, compromised. Third group of people, verse 21. Uh, by the way, that, that's where Paul is talking about, though not being myself under the law. Verse 21, third group. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Okay, so now you have people who are less religious. He's talking about the, the Gentiles. He's trying to bring to the Lord. They, they don't care about the Mosaic law and, and kosher and Sabbath. And so uh, Paul would eat some pig with them, Right? Now, Paul's not going to make a big deal about uh, the Mosaic Law when he's with people who, for whom that's not an issue. And so what does that look like today? Well, 
So it means that when you're dealing with people who are a little less religious, you loosen up a bit. And so maybe you have a habit of attending church every Sunday. Great habit. Keep it up. But your buddies say, we're going to go fishing this weekend. You want to come fishing with us? And you're thinking, opportunity to have influence in my buddies' lives, but I'm going to miss church. Miss church. Right? Go have, go have fun with them. Uh, you don't curse, but uh, you're around people who have a pretty bad mouth. Uh, maybe you feel like, I don't need to correct them every time they say something I wouldn't say. And you let it slide so that you can have influence in their lives. But this can go too far. This can go too far. Which is why Paul says, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Make no mistake. Uh, I don't think everything is, is free game, Paul says. You know, I might go to the river this weekend with my buddies to have influence in their lives, but I'm not going to do that every weekend because the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. I might let some curse words slide uh, in order to... Uh, not have a relational hiccup, but I'm not going to join in and be cursing uh, along with them. I might uh, take a swig of beer and, or, or hold on to a beer so the conversation keeps flowing, but I'm not going to be getting drunk because the Bible says do not be drunk, right? So I'll loosen up, but I won't go so far as to sin. Uh, third group. Verse 23, or I'm sorry, 22. To the weak, I became weak. And here he's talking about people whose consciences are weaker. Uh, they're not physically weaker. They are just, uh, they think some things are sin that you don't believe are sin. Uh, and Paul has, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor James talked about this. And Paul says, look, there are things that I, I know are not sinful, such as eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Uh, but... It offends the conscience of my brother, so I'll, I'll avoid it. And so when you're dealing with uh, people whose consciences are weaker, then you curb your freedom in order to have influence in their lives. Uh, so, for example, when I uh, became a pastor at Faith Christian Community, Steve Holsinger said, hey, Mike, uh, while you're on staff, would you mind not drinking alcohol? And I, I liked having a beer every once in a while and drinking a glass of wine uh, sometimes at dinner. But I said, sure. I won't drink alcohol. I'm not going to give up an opportunity to have uh, influence in the lives of, spiritual influence in the lives of many people just so I can keep drinking. Uh, and so for three years, I didn't drink alcohol at all. And then Steve and I were in Arizona at a baseball game, and he said, oh, feel free to have a beer if you want. I said, what? I thought I wasn't allowed to drink alcohol. He said, ah, oh, we're not in Alaska. Nobody's going to be offended or derailed spiritually. So I said, all right. That was back on. So what's motivating Paul? So we've been talking about the, the how-to, but now let's talk about the heart. Because that's the thing that we need to most take home with us. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. For though I'm free, nobody can, nobody has any claim on my life. Nobody can require me to learn their language or dress the way they dress or listen to the music that they listen to. 
or, or lay down my rights and lay down my preferences. Nobody can require that of me. I do it of my own free will. I, I am, <clears throat> I'm not a servant of anyone because they're better than I am. I choose to be their servant. Why? Because I want to win them for Christ. Look at how many times he talks about that I might win more of them in order to win the Jews, that I might win those under the law, that I might win those outside the law, in order that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that I might, in order that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Paul is motivated to see people come to Christ. That's his fundamental heartbeat. It's way more important to him than getting his own way. I'm flexible, Paul says. I'll be anything you need me to be this side of sin in order to help you come to Christ, to get saved so that you may participate with me, share with me in the blessings of the gospel. Do I have that kind of heart for people? Man, this is so convicting to me. Is that your core heartbeat? I'm willing to lay my rights down. I'm willing to not get my way. I'm willing to adapt to your desires and needs and preferences and style if it'll just open your mind and heart to the gospel. That's the heartbeat of a missionary. You don't have to be in some foreign land to be in a missionary. You can be in your school. You can be in your neighborhood. You can be in your workplace. Does my heart beat to see other people come to Christ? Because the reality is, everyone who is apart from Christ needs to be saved. Saved from what? The Bible is clear. In Romans it says... The wrath of God remains upon them because of their sin. But the wrath can be removed when we repent of our sins and put our faith in God's son, Jesus. And we trust his death upon the cross to be the sufficient and full payment for our sins. And his, his wrath is removed from us. Our sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west, remembered no more. We are made right with God, and the spirit of the living God comes to dwell within us. The same spirit that brought Christ forth from the dead lives in us, and when we die, we have assurance that he'll bring us back to life as well, to live forever in the presence of our good God. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. See, when we flex in order to accommodate other people, so that they can hear the gospel, we're just doing what Jesus did. Jesus accommodated us. He flexed God in heaven with all the rights of being God. And in Philippians chapter 2, we're told that Jesus let go of his rights and he humbled himself and he became a human. He became all things to all men. In order to win some. And when we do that. We follow Christ's example. We share in his sufferings. We become like him. 
and, and then we experience the same joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And when we flex that others may become saved, uh, our lives will be filled with joy, and God will reward it for us. So bow your, if your head, if you would, close your eyes, just some time between with you and the Lord, and just how is God calling you this week to accommodate other people so that their hearts and minds would be open to the goodness of the gospel? Let the Spirit talk to you. Identify just one way, and then ask God to help you live that out. God, I thank you for people like the Apostle Paul and for Bob and Ellie Arnold and we're going to hear from Katie. People who are flexing so that we can hear the gospel so that those around us can get saved. We want to be those people too, Lord. Use this message to inspire our hearts. We choose to respond in faith in the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Hi guys, I'm Katie Nash. And about a month and a half ago, I had the chance to go to Myanmar. And I want to thank all of you so, so much for all the prayers and for financially supporting me. It was, um, it was just a huge blessing to me to be able to go over to Myanmar and kind of have um, no worries about how things were going to be finished up um, back here. Um, so I... Went to Myanmar with Pi Alpha, which is a campus ministry at UAA. And when I got called to go to Myanmar, I didn't even know that was how it's supposed to be pronounced. I thought it was Myanmar, and I thought it was still Burma. But in some in some parts of the country, it's Burma. In some parts of the country, most people call it Myanmar. Um, I was in a city called Yangon. It's the capital city of Myanmar. And um, it was definitely a cultural change for me. I've never been to a place quite like that. And... We really got to see some amazing stuff. Um, so now that you all know how to say Myanmar, I'm going to teach you a few other things in Myanmar. You're learning the language. It's becoming relevant. It's good stuff. So uh, what I'm wearing right here, this is a longi. This is the traditional skirt men and women wear, longi. And men's just kind of like different design. And if you'll repeat after me, I'm going to teach you a fun little phrase. So it's mon la, uni. Weichin Day. That means God bless you in Myanmar. Just kidding, it doesn't. It means I would like to buy a carrot. So <laughs> if you go to Myanmar, you won't starve. You'll be able to buy a carrot at least. <laughs> so anyways, this trip was to be supporting a missionary who is from the U.S. and was called over there um, to be a missionary there. Um, she's there under a visa as an English consultant because Myanmar is a closed country to missionaries. So she would not be able to be there in a visa that said missionary on it. She is an English teacher. So the government has to see that she does exactly what she says she does. So she is involved in all kinds of mission uh, ministries all around Yangon and in the surrounding villages. There's a um, kind of a poor village that's right next to Yangon that we went to several times and she does a kids ministry over there. She does a lot of donations over there. 
and then she does English consulting and teaching back in the city with one Christian university, and then um, they have their own private English consulting business where non-Christian students come to do conversational English. So we were a big part of that. It was really cool to um, be a part of one of their meetings where we got to talk to some of the Myanmar people and um, help them to practice their English. And so one of my favorite times was that night when we were working and teaching in English. Um, there was a student there whose name is Jimmy. That's his English name. And he is a student who's been coming to the missionaries' classes for a long, long time, but, and is just now, like, starting to grasp, like, okay, why, this is why they're here. Why, why are they doing this? Why do they do what they do? And how can I have a purpose in my life? Like, they have a purpose to their lives. So a question that he asks every single person that he meets who's an American and he usually assumes that they're a Christian if they're American. He asks, what is your purpose in life? And he asked every single one of us on the team what our purpose was in life. And then after we answered that question and talked about how God gave us a purpose in our life, he asked us what our major was in university. And after we told him, he would ask another question. He would tailor that to what our major was. So since I'm a nursing major, he asked me, um, how I can believe that God has good purposes for people in life when there's so much hurt and suffering in the world. So I had an opportunity there to be able to talk to him about that and talk about what I believe as far as God's plan for all of us. And it was really cool. And he asked my other friends about law and about geology and about all these other things. So he was an incredibly smart guy. And um, he was really just seek searching for that one answer that was going to lead him to Christ. And so this is kind of how um, the missionary that we worked with does a lot of her work. These, these people don't really have a foundation to base any faith on at all. They've grown up in a culture that is pretty oppressive and tells them that what you were born into is what you are. So if you were born into a Buddhist state, then you are a Buddhist, and that's it. Like, that's, that's who you are. That's your identity. But what they're trying to break through here is that you can decide to be a Christian and you can follow Jesus. So they're grasping for that foundation. And um, she says it's kind of slow going. This missionary has been there for five years and she's seen a handful of people come to Jesus, but they, they work on building this foundation and they live their lives with these people and they take part in the customs and they wear the customary clothing and they speak the language and they eat the food and they are immersed in this culture and as the people get to know them and know that their character, their heart, and their purpose has not changed, and they are still a Christian following God, they can start to see that this is also a calling on their life. And so they um, eventually just get to that one day, and they say, okay, today's the day. I'm ready to follow Jesus. And it's a super cool moment, and um, she's gotten to see that happen a few times. But it's just a really great example of how we are actually all supposed to be living our lives um, being a part of the culture and living our lives with the people around us, eating food with them, going out to coffee with them, doing activities with them, and having them see that our character and our purpose does not change at all in that we are called and we live for Christ, and that's the way that we live our lives. It is clear to see Jesus in that, and hopefully God does something in their hearts and they want to follow him after all that. Um, so, yeah, we had a great time. There was definitely some hardships. Um, all of us got sick, and 
it wasn't fun. But um, one verse that I really connected to and stuck with me while I was there was 1 Peter 1, 6. And it says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we, while we were going through these trials, we were able to show that all the praise and the glory and the honor goes to Jesus. Um, and this missionary who was called to give up everything that she has in this life, she, she gave up her whole life in the States. She had a great job. She had you know, lots of friends supporting her, and she gave it all up to go and be in Myanmar, where she had to give up a lot of her rights, um, a lot of the things that we're used to and accustomed to in the Western culture, she doesn't get anymore. Um, so she is suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. And she is living her life in the way that people can start to see him through her. And, um, yeah, so if you want to know more about what I did and about the missionary that I was with, I'm, I'm really not going to be sharing a ton of information about her because I don't want her work to be compromised. But you can come and ask me in the back, and I would love to share with you about some of the other things that we saw and experienced in Myanmar. Thank you.